We continue in this year of Luke together as we walk through the life of Christ and the year of the church. We're at the place in Luke where he has just told about Jesus returning to Galilee and he goes back to his hometown and he goes to church and he's up to do a reading in church. They give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads the words from the scroll. He turns to the place where it talks about the spirit of the Lord being upon me and bringing good news to the poor and setting the oppressed free and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and he rolls up the scroll and gives it back to the attendant and sits down and as Luke puts it, all eyes in the synagogue and church were fixed on him and this is what happens next. He began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son, Joseph's little boy? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor, cure yourself, and you will say things like, do hear also in in your hometown the things that we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, for example, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. When the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a severe famine in all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except for Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. It says that right here. Off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. What a baffling story this is, oh God. We've perhaps heard it before. No matter how often we hear this story, it baffles us. It is one of those stories. Our prayer is that you use it this morning to speak to us. Use it to speak to us in such a way that we might, in fact, go back out into the world changed people. In Christ we pray. Amen. So today I want to lift up two aspects of this story. One is to talk about why Jesus may have said what he said, and the other one is to talk about what may be going on with how the people respond to what he says. Those two things. 
So why did Jesus say what he said? After all, when you hear this story, the more you read it, the more you realize that really he's the one that starts the whole thing. It's kind of like two little kids who are arguing and you walk up and you say, what's going on? And they say, well, he started it. Well, he started it. He started this. You could almost argue that the entire thing is Jesus' fault because of what he said. So why did he say it? What, why did he say what he said? I mean, he's sitting there. He gets up. They give him the scroll of Isaiah. He reads from the prophet and sits down. He didn't have to say anything. There they are looking at him as Luke says. And what does he do? He says, well, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say something like, doctor, cure yourself, or you're going to ask me to do what you've heard I've been doing in other towns. Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just flat out not going to do it. Why? Because Prophets are never accepted in their hometown. If I were to do it, you wouldn't see it for what it really is. And he starts down this road. It almost feels like he's, he's bothered by them. I'm not going to do it. Here's some examples. Elijah and Elisha, there too. They couldn't do anything in Israel because it just, the people couldn't see it for what it was. You're not going to. What he's basically telling him with that, those two examples is, you couldn't see God if God were standing right in front of you, smacking you on the face. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone said that to me, it would probably bother me. I'd have to agree with them, but that doesn't mean they have to say it out loud. It would bother me. And so on one level, you could kind of understand why they get upset with him. I mean, here's little boy Jesus coming in and telling us we couldn't see, see God if he's standing right there. Why, is, why does he say that? It's like he intentionally is trying to provoke them. What's that about? Well, one thing that might help you to know is that for Luke, at least, this story directly follows the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. Forty days. That's the story that comes immediately before this. Not in all the Gospels, but in Luke, that's the way it's, it's done. So Jesus has just come back from being tempted in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. And he's, he's raring to go. Luke even tells it in, in, in church language. He said he was filled with the Spirit. Filled with the power of the Spirit, Luke says, he returns to Galilee. In other words, he's ready to hit it. I mean, he's ready to share a word. I mean, he's just spent, you know, it's like graduation. You know, when you're in that graduation ceremony and you're getting your degree that you've been working on for however many years and there's a big speech and there's a lot of energy and then the speech they tell you now go out there and make a difference in the world. You get that, that degree, diploma and you're ready to take it all on, man. You're ready to go out and lay everything out that you've been studying for years and do it all in one fell swoop. That's kind of what's going on here. This is not only the first sermon he preaches in Luke, it's the first thing he says in Luke. He's raring to go. He's ready to preach, boy. So he lays it on him. That's, that's one thing that's 
certainly going on. The other thing is that these are his people. More than anyone else, I mean, this is where he grew up. He knows these people better than anybody, and they know him. That's the part we get in Luke. They know him. You know, they start asking. They're amazed at the gracious words that he says, and they say things like, isn't that Mary and Joseph's little boy? Oh, I just remember him as that little boy running around behind his carpenter dad, you know, and it reminds us that whenever we go back home, no matter how old we get, we're still the eight-year-old little kid, and that's all the way they're always going to see us, right? And there's some beauty to that, but mostly it's irritating, <laughs> and so, you know, that's, so that's, no one knows you quite like the people who raised you. And so we get that side from Luke, but what we forget is that he also knew them. I mean, who knows you better than the people who are closest to you in your life? Brother, sister, some family member, best friend, whoever it is, they know you. You don't have to say a word, and they know what you're thinking, even before you even realize it yourself, because you're doing that thing. You're twitching your eye, or you don't even know you're doing it. Your eye's twitching, so they know when you twitch your left eye, you're bothered. Or you're doing something with your ear. It's a, it's a habit you have when you get upset, but you don't realize you have it. But they know. They could write it down on a long list. You twitch your eye, you scratch your ear. Maybe he got up and looked out at everybody, and they're all scratching their ear. And, so he, and, and yet, the other thing is he knows what's going to provoke them. I mean, when you're close to somebody, you know the very thing you can say. You can say it any time, and it's just going to send them through the roof. So he knows what's going to provoke them. So maybe there's some of that going on in the story. He knows what they are thinking. And so he tells them what they're thinking. And it strikes a nerve. It hits them too close to home. Which is the other part of the story I want to lift up. What's going on with this response of theirs? Jesus says to them, you know, a prophet isn't welcome in the hometown. You're not going to see, you can't see God standing right in front of you. Why do they let it bother them so much? What's with that? I mean, if it's just little boy Jesus to them, then why is it that what's happening there? Why do they let it get to him. I mean, they could have responded with a whole array of other possibilities, but instead they let their emotions get the best of them, and they run him out of town and try to throw him off a cliff. Now, that seems a little excessive to me. I mean, he just said some things. What's going on with that? Well, here's a thought. I think what's happening is what you might call a misuse of power. A misuse of power that they don't even realize they have. But they do. They have a great deal of power in this story. 
but they may not realize it, and they're misusing that power. You may not realize it, but when you're in a conversation and someone says something that provokes you or irritates you or, you know, hits your nerve, strikes a nerve, what you say next has great power. What you say and how you say it can ramp up the emotional energy and the, make it emotionally charged and conflictive and almost an all-out brawl if you so choose, or you can calm it down by how you respond, how you hold yourself, particularly when someone is saying something that hits you in the middle of the gut and strikes you a little too close to home. You have that power. And the, the people of Nazareth, they misused it. They let their emotions get away from them. And, and it makes me wonder, what would have happened different in the story if instead of losing it and going all nutso, what would have happened if instead they simply became curious? What if they became curious instead? Instead of getting all riled up, let's get him out of here, boy, we're going to take care of this deal. What if they said, we don't agree with you, Jesus, but you may be right. Tell us more. Might that have been a more faithful response? Might that have changed things? What do you do when someone strikes a nerve inside of you? How do you respond? I've been the pastor here now for seven years. Sometimes it feels like one year, sometimes it feels like 70. But it's seven. And if in that time, I have never said something that you completely disagree with or that just rattles your cage, then either you haven't been listening or I haven't actually been preaching the gospel. I'm open to either one. In the story, they have the power. In fact, when Jesus tells them, he, he perhaps is even intentionally provoking them they have the power in their response to help determine what happens next. I will never forget a Sunday. Years ago, I was in Indianapolis. I was serving Second Presbyterian Church there on the north side of, of, of Indy. And it was a two-year residency program, they called it. There were four of us in it. And they always had two coming in, two leaving. They kept four. So we were in there for two years, and I remember a Sunday in particular when Bill Enright, the senior pastor, preached a sermon that I absolutely did not like. I mean, I just didn't. It hit me. It struck a nerve, man. I, I was, and I found out after worship that I was not the only one. All four of us were like, well, that just, that was just uncalled for. <laughs> you know, we had, we were upset. We were, we were, our nerves had been rattled. And part of the program was every Wednesday night we would get together in his house 
and there'd be something planned, you know. But then we also had this open time where we could ask him any question we wanted to ask him about anything. And so we, we huddled up. I mean, we were going to, let's take this guy out of town. We were ready to go. Come in there and tell us this. We're gonna. So we get up there in, in this house. And we're hemming and hawing, you know, kind of just fidgeting. And finally someone says, I want to talk about last Sunday's sermon. And, and then they said, it, it really, it irritated me. And all of us said, yeah, you betcha. It was, don't ever do that again. I mean, it was, you know. And I'll never forget his response. Instead of getting all defensive and, you know, coming down hard on what God was saying to us that Sunday and we just weren't, he became curious instead. Tell me, he said, what exactly do you think it was that bothered you the most? Let's talk about that. And so, instead of our conversation becoming an emotionally charged circus, highly conflicted, we instead spent the evening We spent the evening full of faithful curiosity. We spent that night learning more about God and about each other. When Jesus perhaps intentionally even provokes the people of Nazareth, giving them the gift of the power to see what happens next, where that conversation is going to go. They get all riled up and they try to run him out of town and throw him over a cliff. Perhaps the lesson in the story for us is to find and learn a better way, a more faithful way. When someone says something to you that strikes a nerve, what if you were able to become curious instead of upset? How might that change your life? How might that change your relationships? What kind of world would that look like. Amen.